Next Chapter Podcasts. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is the most British song I've ever heard in my life. A Promise by Echo and the Bunnymen from their 1981 album Heaven Up Here. It's also number 463 out of 500 on the 500. What's up, everybody? I am your host with the most eaten toast. I'm trying not to boast. Josh Adam Myers, and thank you for tuning in to the only podcast where we're going through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums. So I hope you guys paid for your Spotify so you can listen to the records. Uh, I have to tell you guys something. It hurts me to say this, but this is the last show for two weeks. Here's the reason. I can't tell you, but it's really good. And I have every single one of you to thank, whether you were there from episode one or, which was actually 500, by the way, so, you know, because we're doing it like, it's like Memento. Or if you joined via the gateway drug that is Bill Burr talking about White Stripes or Wanda Sykes or Burt Kreischer or Jim Jeffries or Jay Moore or, or, or Baron Vaughn. Whatever the reason is, I don't care how you got here, but if you clicked play and subscribe and gave us a fucking review on iTunes saying fuck the 500 five stars and a huge shout out to, to Ryan Sickler and Jay Larson from the Crab Feast. And if you were there from the Crab Feast, whatever it is, whichever way you supported the 500 and Josh Adam Myers, thank you. I do have something to announce. I can't do it yet, but we will be back July 31st. That's two weeks. And we're going to be showing up with a brand new episode live from Montreal with some very exciting news. So as always... Listen to it for free on Spotify or whatever ways you get your podcast. It will be back in two weekies, okay? Thank you, and thank you. I love you guys. And if I saw one of your Instagram stories about the 500, thank you as well. I want you guys to take a screenshot of the way you're listening to the podcast and tag me at Josh Adam Myers and put a hashtag the 500 podcast and then post it on your Instagram stories and give me a 24 hour ad because I want people to know that this shit exists. Well, they're going to find out very soon, so which is dope. 
All right, July 25th, like I just mentioned, guys, we're having our live 500 at the Just for Laughs Festival. If you're in Canada and close to Montreal and you want to come, it's going to be great. We got a huge guest. I am so excited. Love that festival, and I love doing it live. Uh, Hopefully you listened to last week's, which was the Moon Tower one, and you saw how dope it could be. July 17th. Guess what happened today, everybody? In 1967, legendary jazz saxophonist John Coltrane dies of liver cancer at the Huntington Hospital in Long Island. He was only 40. Uh, Dude, he's one of the greatest, if not the greatest, saxophone player of all time. If you haven't heard Giant Steps or A Love Supreme, they are masterpieces and they should be in your collection. Okay? Uh, I love jazz so much. I cannot wait until we get to Kind of Blue because I'm just going to have all these bar mitzvah and wedding DJing stories to talk about. We've got time, though, okay? Before we get into the record, a little bit about it. Echo and the Bunnymen were formed in Liverpool, England in 1978. Similarly to their post-punk contemporaries, The Cure and Joy Division, the band took the youthful energy and dissatisfaction of punk, added some groove and backbeat, and conceptualized dark gothic and existential themes. That motherfuckers, they sing about Camus? They singing about Camus. This second about Nietzsche. Beyond good and evil, love spoke Zarathustra. But unlike some of the other bands of that era with a bleak version of what life looked like, Echo and the Bunnymen seemed to find some redeeming hope in light. Now, if you are a casual fan of this band and you know some of the hits like Bring On the Dancing Horses or like Lips Like Sugar or any of those... Congratulations, Fleece Army. None of those are on this record. Instead, Heaven Up Here took the themes and tones I mentioned and crafted a solid collection of moody, psychedelic, and sonically powerful songs that became the foundation on which to build those hits. And I can assure you that this record gets better with repeated listenings. I hit about 22. It was on 22 times. That's how many times I listened to it. So I feel like... I am a master class in the Echo and the Bunnymen. My guest this week is such an incredibly cool fucking person, a hysterical comedian, an incredible podcaster. You know her from her incredibly successful podcast, Guys We Fucked. Ladies and gentlemen, Christina Hutchinson. She was not a huge fan of Echo and the Bunny Man, and she was in town, and I was like, I feel like you'd like this. And I sent it to her, and we dug in and got down and dirty on the podcast tip. Don't forget to listen to the end of the podcast, guys, where we spotlight a new artist that was directly influenced by Echo. Also, rate, review, and subscribe to The 500. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media and email this podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. For all things five, honey, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, guys, you know what time it is. Here we go with number 463 out of 500 with Heaven Up Here by Echo and the Bunnymen. Oh, <laughs>
Hutchinson, Christina Hutchinson, Christina that's a hard one to, to figure out which one to sing you into. This is not an album of, of like catchy choruses at all. Um, that was beautiful. The vibrato was great. So so you're you're a, a passive fan of Echo and the Bunnymen, right? Yes. Because when I reached out to you, like, tell me about your history with this band. I mean, it's not much. I think I I, I love the era. The Smiths, I fucking love. Like, and every, when I, everybody loves the Smiths, but right. me. But oh, really? but they they had similar sound. I thought they had a similar sound. I, I completely agree with that. Um, but I like Echo and the Bunnymen more now that I know. Then now that I've dove into them, I never listen to albums front to back like you're supposed to. Really? And I did with this album, and it was very enjoyable. So so then what? What do you usually listen to? Like, what is you said some Brit pop, but like, give me like throughout your life, who are the big influences? Honestly, the uh, Nirvana, I fucking love. I love yeah. all their num- unplugged. I mean, my my music taste is pretty basic, bitch. I love Neutral Milk Hotel. <laughs> um, basic bitch music yeah. on Sirius ninety seven. Yeah. Um, I just, love Neutral Milk Hotel. It's just nonstop. <laughs> give me a heart, real, or else forget about it. And then Mariah Carey. Um, no. <laughs> I listen to that a oh, lot. Every, yeah, that's that's basic bitch music. Uh, a little bit Mariah. Perhaps not, but I'm maybe I'm being too self-deprecating. But yeah, I'm in a weird headspace. But um, <laughs> but I think Neutral Milk Hotel is one of my favorite bands. LCD Sound System. Uh, uh, fucking uh, Fleet Foxes. I love. Um, Colleen Green. Is Never a great heard artist. of Colleen Green. But. Yeah, a lot of people haven't. She's just a newer artist that I fucking love. Anna Wise, another one of those kind of similar ilk. Um, fucking Deep Valley, I love. Um, I'm trying to be all cool now and say things that you probably don't no, know. No, I like, I like that. It's like but I do love these artists. There, there's, there's something about like, like listening to pop music, and then there's also something about digging in and finding those artists and albums. Like I always refer to this guy, Brandon Butler. Nobody knows who he is. He's a DC musician. He made two of my favorite records mm. that I've ever heard. Shit. And so it's it's like, and I try to get his name out as best as I can. Um, completely different than what we are listening to this week. Yes. So let's dive into this. Our album is number 463 out of 500. It's the sophomore album Heaven Up Here by Echo and the Bunnymen, released on May 30th, 1981, produced by Hugh Jones and Echo and the Bunnymen. And I feel like I'm calling him, it's Bunny Man, right? Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like I'm making him Jewish. It's like, oh, you mean uh, Bunnymen. Oh, no, it is Bunnymen. You're right. It's Bunnymen. It is Bunnymen. Multiple yeah. multiple Bunnymen. Yeah, but I'm, I'm giving it like a very like, you know, Semitic flair to it. Oh, yeah. you know, the, the Bunnymen's, the great people. They live down the street. We're going over there for Purim. Um, <laughs> so what did you think of this record? Though? I loved it. It came at a great time. I'm glad you assigned this one to me because I feel like this guy's real tortured inside. Yeah. As though I feel this current moment um or for the past couple months but i i like i love an emotional man yeah i love oh god and this was that and somebody who was just like wailing his feelings out into the to the mic with his lyrics i love the lyrics there's a lot of song i mean i i took specific notes good I don't know that's if you so get... no 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 We're, we'll get into the songs yeah. But so overall, was this kind of what you were expecting from Echo? Because I listen when you say Echo and the Bunny Man, 
Uh, I was like expecting it to. I was expecting to be like that British, like oh, uh, oh, we're doing stuff. Yeah. Then we're living on the edge of town. Uh, oh, I was, <laughs> that's what I was like expecting. This was kind of that, but I was except. I was expecting it to be far happier. It was darker than I thought. Way darker Thank than God. I was expecting. Yeah. So what? You were in the mood for this? Yes, I was. I'm. I'm kicking a pill addiction, uh, and yeah, when you, one does that. You realize, you, oh, feelings are going to pop up that you've been, you know, suppressing with the pills, yeah. Adderall specifically. And uh, and so I very feely, and I usually am very feely anyway, even on Adderall. Yeah. Uh, but just feelings are popping up, and I'm letting them flow in and out of me. But this was a really great, this was great because I've been driving around a lot because I'm not drinking right now. Yeah. And, uh, and I've been, it's like I, I want so desperately to be seen, but then I don't. I'm driving a red Corvette. And I'm blasting music. I'm the windows are down, and I'm just blasting music. But I've been blasting this album. <laughs> You're blasting this. I, I want, yeah. People are like, like Jesus Christ. I think, I think the girls from Guys We Fucked is suicidal. <laughs> God, that's your nice damn. In the car with that's her. a nice car though. That's yeah. a really nice car. That's <laughs> like <laughs> just take off. Um, I'm I'm not gonna say I I wasn't expecting it to be like I thought it was gonna be very British, and it was. Um, but I it wasn't as whimsical. Exactly. That's a perfect word to die use. by your side. Yeah, because because you mentioned the Smiths. Mm-hmm. The Smiths are whimsical. Yes, they're they're very you know the guy with the thorn in his like they, yeah. they're very like like it's so it, it's it's still kind of whiny um, to a point. I don't want to call, it, but this this was just had a far whereas the whereas the Smiths lyrics um, are what really makes the music dark. Mm-hmm. This everything about it had like a dark cloud over it. I think the Smiths are like, if I make a comparison, the Smiths would threaten suicide, but never mean it. But like Echo and the Bunnymen with this album would actually mean it. A hundred percent. Oh, a hundred percent. They wouldn't dangle that carrot in front of you. They would just do it. They probably wouldn't tell anybody. Um, so I, I did enjoy this. Yeah. I did enjoy this record. It took a little bit for me to really get into it. But then once it clicked, I was like, okay. And I've danced to a bunch of the songs that we're going to get into. Uh, so before we begin the record review, uh, here's journalist author Mark Cooper describing Ian McCullough's lyrics. Uh, he's quoted saying, The one constant in Mac's lyrics is a sense of betrayal, of a broken promise, of the disappointment that comes from seeing humans betray their potential over and over. Mac dreams of things being right, of finding life as he dreams it might be, only to find it wrong. Wow. Ian himself said, I suppose the songs are always about the possibility of something great. And then and then the breakdown of trust or the breaking up of possibilities. Mm. Uh, And after listening to this, I I can kind of agree with that. I mean, I started listening to some of the the hit songs from Echo and the Bunny Man. Mm -hmm. But but like like I said, uh, I can hear all the influences. I hear you, too. Um, A lot of this reminded me of Gang of Four. I don't know if you've been following along with the podcast, then you definitely know who Gang of Four is. Um, but overall, it, it's for me, it's like I'm not depressed right now or dealing with a lot. So it's like it didn't get me in the mood that it got you. Mm-hmm. So I can completely understand. I, I'm, I'm so happy that I had you listen to this. Like, me too. Like 100%. All right, let's dive into the record. Okay. All right, first song, it opens with Show of Strength. Okay, on this, like many others on the record, the pounding drums sound almost tribal. And you want to, like, I want to point out that the drummer, Pete DeFreitas, was only 19 when he played on this record. Shit. Yeah, they're young guys. 
Uh, right off the bat, like I said, you can hear you two. I heard Simple Minds. Um, here, Peter, play 58 seconds in. One hundred percent. I hear the edge, the edge from U 2s guitar with the with the way that he's like clashing on it. Um, it's a hundred percent British, hundred percent British. Just the whining, everything. But even though like other songs in this record, the lyrics are a bit vague. This song appears to be about infidelity and dishonesty in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, here's sample lyrics: Bonds will break and fade, a snapping all into the lies that bind and tie come sailing out of you. I listened to that song and I was like, mm, someone's been fucked over. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on board. According to Ian, it's about trying to be honest with yourself even though you know you're a dishonest turd. It's about somebody obvious and it's about me. Mostly it concerns people who pretend they've got guts and passion when they have it when they try to get it from someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your experiences on either side of infidelity? Both. I've been all of the things. You have? Yes. My first relationship I was cheated on. 15. Well, I was 16 when I found out about it. Cried in the street in the rain in the middle of the street. Very dramatic. Um, and then two boyfriends later I was cheated on. Um, I've cheated on the the middle boyfriend in between the cheated. Uh, I slept with somebody, but I told him I made out with somebody. I called him the next day. He was a famous person, so I was like, oh, maybe it's not as okay. Um, but I said I made out with this person. Wait, the guy that he hooked up with was famous? Yes. Okay, well, that's all right. Um, right? I'm like, no, 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 count. <laughs> but when I told... I mean, it was this... Gilbert Gottfried, but I mean... <laughs> Josh, I told you it was the one thing I didn't want to talk bad. about. I'm sorry about that. Um, so, so when I told my boyfriend at the time, I, like, I told him I made or I hooked up, which to me didn't mean sex. And I told him who the person was. He's like, really? Sick. I'm like, oh, okay, this relationship isn't going anywhere. Really? Like, he was... <laughs> He's he a fan was, of this he person. Wasn't, he wasn't... You know what's funny? But that he didn't you, think I fucked him, so... Yeah, I guess making out, but all right, I, I totally, in my lane with that, same situation. I was dating this girl, and we had broken up. It seemed like we were going to get back together, and then her friend convinced her to go on holiday with Edgar Wright. Whoa. Do you know who Edgar Wright is? The, the actor? No, the director oh. of Shaun of the Dead. Ooh. He directed, uh, what was the one that was uh, Baby Driver? Oh, Jesus. That was a great movie. And uh, she ended up fucking him on the trip. She said she wasn't gonna, but she fucked him. But you weren't together, but you were gonna get back together. We, were, we were still, I don't know. That in between? We were in the in between. Where you could give each we, other shit. Yeah, and, but that was the thing that I was like, out of all the people you could have fucked, like, I can't. Like, I love this guy's movies, man. Like, I can't, like, I can't How watch was it. His dick? But, I mean, I, he took her to Big Sur. Wow. He gave her, like, a whole weekend. He rolled out the red carpet. He really did. And, you know, I mean, was, you, was, was the guy, like, you know, on that level or bigger? Um, kind of, yeah. Yeah, I would say. In the, in the TV. TV realm. TV realm. SNL alum. Do you usually, I mean, like, does that turn you on if somebody yes. is very successful? Yes. Oh, yeah, because to me that means you saw you saw something, you wanted to get it, you got it, and you're crushing it. But, yeah, I think, I don't like loser guys. I don't like, but to me, a loser I defined as somebody's not living up to their potential or doesn't have any goals. Yeah. You know? 
Hey everybody, so you guys have probably heard me talk about how I've been in bands my whole life. Uh, I love writing songs and performing in front of crowds. Uh, just like with comedy, as a musician, it can be kind of hard to cut through the noise and really stand out as an artist. I feel like half the music projects I've been in have ended just because we couldn't figure out the answer to that eternal question of how do we get people to hear us? But then again, that was before there was DistroKid. DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that brings your sound to the masses. It's a one-stop shop for getting your songs on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many more. What's Deezer? I never even heard of Deezer. How many of them are there? I know all that. That's like the holy grail of streaming services, though. And and getting paid. They want to. We want to get you paid for your music. That's huge because a lot of bands go broke before they get big. But DistroKid collects earnings and payments and sends 100% of these earnings to artists minus banking fees and applicable taxes. And that's just one of the tons of benefits of using DistroKid. You can send big files to anyone with their instant share feature. You can use the hyper follow feature to promote your release and get pre-saves on your song. You can even create personal landing pages for yourself, your band, your brand, and whatever you like. It has a free Spotify canvas generator too to generate your own Spotify canvas for your songs. And the Mixia feature instantly masters your tracks for higher quality audio. So if you're ready, to bring your band to the next level, it's time to check out DistroKid. The DistroKid app is now available on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. Listeners of this show can get 30% off their first year by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the 500. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash the 500 for 30% off your first year. Dig it. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Um, my one boyfriend kind of long, long, long time ago kind of started down that losery path of like not really wanting to do anything with his life. And I was like, I can't. I can't. If you're not moving at a fast pace, I'm out. All right. Let's go into uh, the second song on the record, With a Hip. Now, uh, do you have any thoughts on it? Do you want to hear it first? What do you want to do? Let's hear it. Let's hear it. you want to hear it? All right, here, we're going to play a minute and 20 seconds in. This is definitely a head bobber. Yeah. It's, it's more of the same of literally the last song, but this definitely made me get up and like dance with the dog in like a Charlie Brown hipster style. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It's no secret that Ian McCullough and the band were huge fans of Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground uh, because you can hear it throughout not just this whole album, but especially in this song. And that part is probably my favorite part on the whole album because they're layering. There's like, you have Ian singing and then you have somebody else and they're laying over each other, yet it sounds like it's clashing Mm. and one singing a little bit slower. 
Uh, do you have any thoughts? I like their bass lines. They're very on the prowl. I just imagine like a guy like just like creeping up on someone. But it's kind of pounding. It's like I, yeah. it's, it's got a very intense flair to it. Yeah, yeah. All right, sample lyrics because I this, this part is so great. With a hip hip hop and a flip flip flop, gonna steal some bananas from the grocer's shop. <laughs> With your head in the clouds and your trousers undone, gonna shit on the carpet. Just like everyone. I mean, that's lyric gold. Yeah, like reading the, re- hearing the lyrics just read, it's a, oh, it's a little whimsical, but with the music, it's not. Yeah. Like, it's very dark. Just, I, just, I want to know who's shitting on the carpet. That's what Shit. I really want to know. Is this, is this what the band, is that what bands do? Shit probably, on carpet? Probably, probably this band. Apparently, this is about an overwhelming acid trip that Ian McCullough had taken. Now, he explained this later. It's about knowing your limitations. It's nothing to do with hipness, although I like the idea that people might think it is. I like when people analyze the words and get something out of them. That's a compliment. Now, you have a podcast that is hugely successful with our good friend Corinne Fisher mm-hmm. uh, called Guys We Fucked. And... Uh, it's very, it's not just hip, but it's open-minded. It's forward-thinking and, and talking about liberating experiences. Uh, you two have talked about so many subjects that could be considered taboo or uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. What, if any, limitations would you put on show topics? Uh, zero. The first, the, we went to the, we came to the table, meaning we started the podcast saying the one thing we didn't want to talk about was dick size. So it really started with you You guys wanted just to talk about the people that you fucked. To the people we fucked. Yes, exactly. We just wanted to have that conversation because when are you going to have that conversation? Like some of these people, I'm so glad we started this podcast for many reasons, but at first... You're driving a Corvette here. Like, that's true. For many for Yeah, many that's reasons. one of the reasons. But at, when we first started it, we didn't know anybody was going to listen because we yeah. truly didn't think anybody was going to listen. I'm like, honestly, if anything, this is really cool to have these conversations because I learned about things that I made assumptions over during the time we were either dating or hooking up or whatever it was that I, I, I that I got wrong. And I think I learned I kind of pushed people away. This one guy, I, th- I swore I broke up with him or I swore he broke up with me and he came on the podcast. He's like, no, you broke up with me. And then I thought about it. And I'm like, I didn't think that I was worthy of him. So I pushed him away. Really? And then I broke up with him. I've yeah. done that a million times. Yeah. So what topics like won't you cover? There's nothing? There's nothing. We've covered pedophilia, rape all goddamn day. Yeah, um, you showed me that. You once showed me like a, an email that somebody had written to you. Because um, you get a lot of people that are like, you know, they're explaining to you and they want to tell you how much you've helped them mm-hmm. get through serious times. And I mean, the story was insane. Like she was like raped by her family her, or her, her dad gave her two abortions with clothes hangers yeah she, by the time she was 10 is, is this one she was gang raped so. on her 10th yeah, birthday yeah, by I her dad and her it. friends yeah that's i mean uh-huh. that's just it's the, that's that's one of the most intense things i've ever read in my life yeah and that's when i started pulling back from the email <laughs> inbox because uh <laughs> my mental health uh, maybe slide into uh the suicide prevention hotline <laughs> dms because... she was at, that chick was actually like totally fine really like we we summarized the email on the podcast because i was like i don't want to read it because it was so she went into detail which you know i was honored that she felt comfortable sharing that but i didn't want to f- i didn't want to fuck up anybody else's day and we talked about just basically what she had said and she wrote us because she heard us summarize it and she goes just so you guys know I'm okay. Like I'm fine. I got a great job. I'm happy, and I'm like, fuck, man. I mean, that's that's that's, that's resilience. It's well, that's what you have to do. It's like yeah. you can't the 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 scars, you know, that you carry. Like they're scars, and you should be, you know, you should 
you know, remember and, and appreciate that because those are the things that got you to where you are. And hopefully she's in a better place now. I just certainly anything is. would be better than the situation. Yeah. She, in. Yeah, she ran away and got then then was in foster care after that. Really? Yeah. That's how she escaped her, the, the gang rape that was planned. On her tenth birthday, by her father and her father's friends. I mean, that's a that's a you know they could and have went just to a gone grocery to, store. They could have just gone to McDonald's, had a birthday party there. I know, you know what I mean. Yeah. In the ball pit. Fucking losers. <laughs> All right, over the wall, uh, Peter, play the chorus. Over the Wall is one of my favorite songs. I think a lot of his lyrics, uh, you were reading a quote from him earlier, people take different things from it. It's like a painting. Somebody looks at one painting and they see something exciting and whimsical and somebody else can look at that same painting and based off their life experiences, they see something terrifying. Sure. So Over the Wall I really liked because I've said this in these words that I feel like with the drug addiction thing, I am over the wall. I'm over that hump um, of holding myself accountable and talking about it and telling my friends and it's way better on this side and then also too there's I thought of that uh this how I think of a relationship when you're dating somebody and you don't really know what it is yet and you're gonna have that conversation about what you guys are gonna do are yeah we, are we a couple are exactly. we gonna go further in my head I always think of like um let's go like take my hand and let's jump off the cliff or let's go over this wall because it's I feel like it's gonna be way better on that side of the wall. Um, so that's the other thing that made me, the, the lyrics made me think of. So, I like the song a so lot. So I, I like this one too. The music sounds uh, very squirrely, uh-huh. uh, kind of desperate, but uh, with all the talk of monkeys on backs and slugs on neck and people in rooms talking about solution, make it sound like the thoughts of a drug addict in a rehab or like a patient in an insane asylum trying to escape. Mm. Now you mentioned, you know, that you... Are, are dealing with something coming off of something right now. You yeah. know, so this is, this is your first issue with any substances or, yeah, yeah. you know, what, like how did that come about? Um, not wanting to feel feelings. Uh, when I was a kid, my mom was, is bipolar and I grew up uh, how, my, my household. I had to deal with a lot of adult emotions as a child, which fucked me up, which will fuck any child up. Sure. And I developed these defense mechanisms um, so that I could survive, like hearing certain things and seeing certain things that I saw in my childhood were so scarring. My mom was on overly medicated and the medications made her do crazy things. I remember maybe when I was five years old, her, she was having a screaming fight with my brother, my older brother, and she threw a hammer at his head and he ducked. And he at your missed. brother, uh, yeah, wow. and I saw that. No one talked what, like about a, it. Like a like a little like like a giant like the hammer. one Andy Dufresne had and mm, fucking like no. a big hammer, a big okay. a hammer, a oh. carpenter's hammer. Um, and no one talked about it. My dad wasn't there, so he didn't know that I saw it. Um, and just I had to I had to somehow be okay after that. And so you develop these defense mechanisms. One of the defense mechanisms I developed was uh, not feeling. So when that happened, I would just distract myself and not even think about it ever again. But those feelings are still going to live in you and linger. So you never dealt with that. No, no. But I then I discovered Adderall, and there's uh, this show Euphoria on HBO that I we've talked about briefly. Yeah, I saw you post about it, and I was like, "Is that good? Because I look too old for that. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be too old. You would for, love this show. For a Zendaya show. <laughs> <laughs> it's about it's a lot about drug addiction 
And I'm all in. Yeah, that's why I was like, you, I haven't watched Josh it yet, but this. right now I'm trying to finish The Last Tsars, oh, which is about the Russian Revolution and the Romanovs. Ooh, cute and light. Yeah, um, it's, it's very chi- it's very chill. Yeah. Uh, it's taken me three weeks to mm. watch two episodes because oh, every good. time I put it on, I fall asleep. But I'll get to Euphoria <laughs> and we'll talk about it. Yeah, that's about drug addiction. The Zendaya's character, Rue, said something that, like, a lot of things that are said in the show really hit too close. But she's like, when I found opioids, basically, uh, I, I found... I was I found the feeling I've been searching for my whole life. And so I realized the feeling that I've been searching for my whole life in quotes because it's not it doesn't do you any good is uh, the ability to not feel feelings. So Adderall was like a button that I could just press and I didn't have to do any work not to feel. I just took the pill. And then my relationship of seven years with my ex, the last three years of that, I was so extremely unhappy. But instead of coming to terms with it and dealing with it, I would just pound Adderall and be fine with it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's that's what Adderall did, but I've never had a abuse problem. Not not drinking has not been that hard, luckily. Yeah, it's, you, it's not that hard for me to not drink. You had said you'd gotten into to like drugs later in life. Yeah, like Molly, it, we were talking about that. Yeah, well, so one of the things this past year, I went on an ecstasy bender, um, <laughs> where I was popping it every weekend um, for a couple months, and this guy that I was seeing, who's now like one of my really close friends. But he was coming off of a out of a relationship, and he was dealing with those feelings, and we were both in fucked up places. And there's so there were so many nights where he, we would be at my house wasted, and at five a.m. and he'd be like, "Do you want to do?" And I knew he meant ecstasy because he knew I had it. And I'm like, "Yes." I didn't even let him finish the sentence, and we'd be like, "Do ecstasy at five a.m." Like, what the fuck? I mean, and have great sex. I, I mean, you know. Yeah, dude. It's it's like if you have somebody, like, ecstasy is fantastic. If you have somebody to snuggle. You know, and it's just totally. the two of you guys, and you can maybe, right. maybe get some Vicks Vapor Rub, do a freeze down. Oh, shit. I used to do that. The freeze down is where you take the Vicks Vapor Rub inhaler, and then you, like, I'd put it in my mouth, but reverse, and then blow it into your eyes, and then do this, like, <laughs> this weird finger thing on your forehead. Whoa. And you do it to one person, and then everybody else, all the other E-tards see you, and they're like, oh, man, can you do that to me, too? And I'm like, come on. And next thing you know, you got a line of, like, 12 people. You should charge for that shit. Damn. Yeah, well, you know, they'd, they'd bump me up. They'd figure out a way to get me back. Maybe I'd get a pill from them or maybe, you know, some ketamine. Everybody knows I love ketamine. Or I loved, loved. But, but what was it that got you to want to stop the Adderall? Like, uh, did something happen? Uh, accumulation of things. Uh, I've always known deep down. For, I, well, I've known deep down for the past two years that I need to stop. But I've, I thought some thoughts that I had with myself have included, I guess I'm just going to do this till the day I die. Like, I'm never going to stop. Like, once I realized, oh, shit. I'm never going to stop this, I don't think. That was scary. Yeah. So I felt guilt basically the second I realized that until I quit, which was like two years. Um, and I was impatient with friends and family. And I don't like be acting like that at all. That's not who I am. And uh, I was less funny. I would interrupt people during interviews on the podcast. It was very embarrassing. It, it, it's, it definitely isn't as bad as I think it was in my head. But uh, yeah. And then... Um, this guy that I was seeing, uh, who I really like, um, I don't know. We just have like this crazy bond. It's very unique where we're very honest with each other about every little tiny thing. It's really cool. And, uh, he was, he's just very, he kind of like lets me break down like, and I'll like freak out a little bit, which I don't often do, but he doesn't care at all. And, and I've never felt comfortable doing that in front of somebody. And especially because I would usually get some sense of judgment. Like yeah. from that person, which is okay. Um, but he truly was like, that's who you are today. That's okay. Um, 
And so I ended up telling him and yeah, I don't know. I just, um, one of the things that Adderall would do is it would make me focus so much because that's what that drug does to you that I would focus on a guy way too much and like come in way too heavy, like way too intense and hard. And like, I really like you. Do you want to be my boyfriend? Yeah, you'd have mice and men him. You'd just be like, so pretty, pretty. And you strangle the Uh shit out of it. Exactly. And I'm like, I'm a cool chick when you get to know, but then when you go hard like that, no one fucking wants. I don't care if you're fucking Halle Berry. No one wants that. I used to Maybe if like you're Halle Berry. Yeah, no, I mean, it would be, if Halle Berry came after me, that would be fucking dope. Of course it I would. Be. You know what? Uh, I'm, I sit here it's you know, and say that, that that would scare me off. If it's the right girl. If it's the right girl coming at right. you hard and you're just in. Because, you know, if you're in that mood. Dude, I, there was one chick I dated that, like, literally within the first week she told me she loved me. And I was just like, well, I mean, I guess I can see myself loving her. So I love you, too. And, oh, then, wow. and then I moved in and. And uh, we were together for three years, and now oh, she's nice. uh, and now she's married to Tommy Lee. So, oh, yeah, dude, that's hell yeah, nice though. Rock on. Well, I'm I'm really fucking proud of you that you got off the Adderall, man. It's, Thanks. It's a it's a hard decision when you, especially when you're you're dependent on it, and you have the means to get it as much as that's, you do. Yeah, so, and I, and I, just to because I don't want to, uh, you know fucking be fake, but like I'm I'm weaning off of it. So now I was taking up to seventy milligrams a day, and now it's twenty. Just keep going lower. Yeah, that's exactly lower. what I'm doing. I'm on you know, like week two, and then by next week I'll be off of it. I'm really excited. Good for you. I'm serious. Good for Thanks. you. Thanks. Thank you. All right, that goes into song four. It was a pleasure. I see what you're saying about the bass, man. The bass definitely is a power player in this band. Mm-hmm. I, I love that part of the song so much. I love when everything drops out. It's just the drums and the bass after all those, you know, that angular guitar and just the, it's, this is, this is so gang of four. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Will Sargent's angular guitars and Les and Pete's rhythm section really showcase a lot of what the post-punk's ability to somehow create funk without soul because that's what they're doing Mm. like you could see red hot chili peppers taking a little bit from this band yeah uh and it's about getting all the bullshit out of the way during the first handshake so both parties are dealing with the real truth and can proceed accordingly Mm. uh ian admitted it was him protecting the band it was written because i thought we were going to get slagged it was like a pre-backlash thing uh, we know it's tough to be a female in this industry, right? Have you had to deal with unscrupulous business people? You know, uh, uh, certainly that. I don't think it's because I was a woman. I actually think it's uh, to one's advantage to be a woman in this industry because it's mostly not women. So that makes you unique right out of the gate. Um, I think the only time where, you know, uh, when you're starting out, if you're like a young chick, uh, some, sometimes you'll get booked on things by a guy who wants to fuck you. But I mean, who gives a shit? Doesn't like, mean you have to fuck him. It, well, you know what I mean? One, yes, yeah. that's true. <laughs> that's true. But uh, also, I noticed that this is what happens when there's one chick on the lineup and she's not good. A lot of times, she's booked prematurely for the show uh, because the guy wants to fuck her. So, uh, but but the, in terms of the pace at which you grow, it's the same. Yeah. Um, I like being a woman in a mostly male industry. I fucking love it. I think it's great. I just like being anything that makes me unique is uh, is a a in my book. You know, a hundred percent. We've gotten offered things uh, by television networks, um, <clears throat> Lifetime, and where 
we got offered like a straight to series thing and then we're like really we only had a general with you that was the last time we spoke months ago even our agents were like yeah i don't they want okay and um and because people want the effect of the podcast they love and they want to gravitate towards but then when we actually start working together they're like you can't say rape you can't say pe- you can't say all these things i'm like have you listened to guys we fucked because that's the name of the podcast <laughs> so i'm really sick of that but uh, that happened a lot in the beginning not not anymore thankfully yeah well now you have much more power and control because you <laughs> yeah. built something i mean right. right at the beginning it's like you know, if Lifetime comes out you with like a series offer, you're like, okay, yeah. Oh, can we go on after like the uh, the wife murders her husband uh, TV show that you yeah. show every fucking day? I'm uh, in denial that my husband pushed me down the stairs. <laughs> All right, a promise. Uh, track five. This is the only single released worldwide from this record, and probably the most accessible song on the album. Uh, this is probably, in my opinion, uh, the most British song. I might have ever heard. Just <laughs> lots of wailing. Uh, Peter, hit me with a quick uh, A Promise. You can see that there's like, I know they're contemporaries with U2, I think, mm-hmm. but it's got a very, very U2. Even his, his presentation of the way he's singing, it sounds like Bono. Yeah. A little bit. Uh, it sounds like it's about being let down by someone after trusting them, or maybe it's about being the one that makes it difficult to keep promises to. Ian broke it down when he said, it's about frustration, really. I just thought I'd had certain morals and principles since I was 13 or 14, and I carried them through, but things change. It becomes evident when you realize you've changed that the promise wasn't kept. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Uh, what has been your biggest disappointment as you've gotten older? That's a, wow, that's a heavy fucking question. Um, my biggest disappointment is in, in, certainly in myself, I think that I, I liked this song a lot. I liked, it was very, a little complainy, but I, I really clung, you can, whenever anybody promises that nothing will change, that's just physically, it's impossible. Everything will always change. You can't, you can't say that, but what this, the lyrics mean to me is like, people are so fucking afraid of change. So my biggest disappointment in life is that I, I've held myself back because I was afraid of change. Um, I'm disappointed that I didn't quit the Adderall earlier yeah. because this is way better. Um, and I'm funnier and I feel more connected to people in life and all this shit. 
But um, whenever anybody says nothing's going to change, you you can't even you shouldn't even be allowed to say that because yeah. that's never the case. People are so terrified and resistant to change that uh, that they'll say something as as outwardly foolish as that, yeah. which I'm guilty of. I, I so I understand the notion, but that's why I resonated with the lyrics of this one. So you fought, uh, you used to fight change. Is that what oh you're all the time? But it's it's so silly because anytime I've ever been scared of something. It's always because change was ahead and it's always been for the better. You can't learn without change. I was I, I stayed in a relationship too long because I was afraid of change. Oh, so many. That's, and yeah. my ex pro- told me, he, he threw that back at me and he said, I didn't think anything was going to change with you when you got big or something. I'm like, fuck you. First of all, I never said that. Yeah. <laughs> Second of all, <laughs> that's not how life works. Yeah. Uh, things change. Things do. And they have to. That's like, you have to change. It's like the only thing that makes you a more complete person. It, that's what is evolving to to, is. It, yeah, exactly. It's like the, the amount of, 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 of change that I've done in the last two years. I mean, it's just, it's, it's night and day. It's like when I feel myself going back to that old side, like I, I, I recognize it and then I catch it and then I cut it off. Yeah. That's great. So really, really great song, by the way. And by the way, you can totally hear early elements of what would work out way more successfully on their 1983 single, the cutter all over this. Peter, play a little bit of the cutter for me. All right, Heaven Up Here. This is the title song from the album, and it was about dealing with the perceived hipness of them by fans and the press that the band thought was bullshit. Uh, Ian contradicted himself when he said, we're an attack against hipness, although I do think we're the hippest band in the world. Um, And you can hear him lampooning the band's swirly psychedelica during the we're all groovy, groovy people part. Uh, my favorite part, though, is the ending uh, when it goes completely haywire. Peter, play minute two, second 44. I didn't know that that was it was about people's perception, his fans' perception of him or what fame is, you said? Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, that I can... Uh, um, relate to on a small scale because I feel like people come up to us a lot and they they like throw things at us of like, well, you probably think this or you probably, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What the fuck? Like people who listen to the podcast and are fans of Corinne and I's, uh kind of throw stuff on us where they're assuming they think they know what it's like. Uh, a lot of Reddit threads about us complaining about, quote, being like famous or whatever. And I'm like, no, no, man. Like, it's just not. Uh, I think it's famous so interesting. And I only have like this tiny little level of it. But it's, uh, I can't imagine being like fucking Tom Hanks. And just or, having, or, yeah, having just, everybody know who you are. Yeah. And- but, but it's cool to, it's cool to have people who like your work and dig you uh, for who you are. Like, my work is just who I am. Which is fortunate, I think. But like, Crit and I get recognized a lot, and it's weird, and it's cool, and it, and it's always by people who are just good people. I've never had a bad experience with that, except once when I was in Times Square. But um, but yeah, it's cool. I like yeah. So I like that. So I, people, I didn't know that that was that. That's what that song was so about. You're, so you're saying people think that you're you treat you think you're more famous than you are. Is that what you're saying? Or they're like, no. what, what are so? How are you different from the image people have of you? I'm not. 
well, well, honestly, the main thing is I don't eat br- br- and breathe sex. Like I'm not, I, they only hear us talk about sexuality because the podcast has a theme, but it's, I like doing a lot of other things. We're much more versatile than just fucking. Um, so that's, that's been something that people are like, oh yeah, I guess you don't really, um, all you do is have sex. Like that's kind of, but you are a very sexual person. Though, yes. Right? Very sexual. And yeah. sex is important to me, but you gotta preserve it. And it has to be like, I think the taboos of sex, it's kind of nice that they're a little taboo. Cause I don't want, like if it was just like everyday Joe Schmo sex is like involves hitting and slapping. I'm like, well, you can't, you, it's like you can't have a cupcake every day. You're going to get sick of cupcakes yeah. and get diabetes. Um, so, so I think one thing like Corinne and I, we didn't think a shitload of people were going to listen to the podcast. So we just kind of word vomited our, our thoughts and feelings into the microphone. And then we realized, Oh, maybe pull back the reins just a little. Like how, not how everyone f- has to know everything. How fast did it, did it, did it take off? We, uh, about a month into the podcast being out there in the world, we got our first press piece by, we were interviewed by the daily beast. And the title of the article is the podcast too hot for iTunes. Cause iTunes wouldn't, they rejected our application to be on the thing and they wouldn't tell us why. And we tried to reach out to them many, many, many times. That's a good headline. And I think with the name guys we fucked, people hear it no matter what the reaction is. Oh, they're horrors or, oh, that's hilarious. Or that sounds interesting. They check it out and we deliver when you check out the podcast. It's a fucking, it's a good podcast. And, um, and so that, I think that really, that was the start. That was the domino thing. So a month in, but mm-hmm. when did it really just? So a month there was in, it layer, there was waves. A month in, truly it popped because once you get the if the name is in front of you, you're going to check it out. Sure. So we've experienced these giant waves of new listeners because people word of mouth to me is the strongest form of advertisement you can ask for because somebody really genuinely loves it. And if multiple people around you are talking about it, you're going to check it out. That's how I check things out. Sure. So, so that every time we would get press about us, we would just get this new wave of audience members uh, and listeners. So yeah, it's been, it's been fun. All right. Uh, Song seven, the disease. Okay. Uh, Remember when I said the other song was the most British song ever. My life's the disease. <laughs> yeah, this song is as British as it gets. Now, this is a really short one, and it sounds like a poem set to music, like something from The Doors, Jim mm. Morrison release, an American Prayer album, uh, but I fucking love this song. Uh, play minute one, second 49, Peter. Oh, you probably love mm. that with what you're dealing with right oh, now. Yeah. That digga, 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 digga. Yeah. And you're just Very fucking... rage. <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of System of a Down, a lot of rage, a lot of other... Th- that's the other music I've been listening to this week so, so far. So, so good Something good that I want to recommend. When I was going through the, the real heavy opiate detox post the car accident I was in, um, and I got sober, I think it was on day two... And I started listening to a lot of Red Hot Chili Peppers, mm. but like era, like I remember, like it was uh, Under the Bridge, Ooh. and then it was at the new album at the time. It was the oh fuck, I can't remember it. It was the one after John Frusciante left. Um, I guess their newest album. I think it's called I'm Something Something. But dude, sitting in my car listening to Under the Bridge, just like weeping, yeah, weeping. So I I completely understand what you're going for. <laughs> All right, this is sort of a textbook, grandiose, existential, mopey goth stuff. He even uses the word twixt, which is short for betwixt, which is already an affected way of saying between. 
Now, according to Ian, I wrote the disease as a kind of anthem for the Liverpool suppressed, for those who see their potential in human terms and not in terms of having or not having a job. What chance are you grateful for not wasting? Oh, um, this, I wanted to move to New York City so I could intern for Saturday Night Live. I knew no one at the show, and I was uh, comfortable in my world at Penn State University. And I was, uh, I mean, I created that own chance for myself, but I was terrified to take it. And uh, I convinced myself to do it. I, like, fought myself, like, punched myself in the face, metaphorically. Really? To go, yeah. What, did you drop out of college? No, I, I, I transferred schools. To, uh, to a Marymount Manhattan in New York oh, City. Okay. But I was like, I just had the thought popped into my head one day. goes, you want to be on SNL? Intern for them. And then one of the parts of me were like, yeah, you have to do that. And I just, every other part of me fought that part. And uh, and I figured out a plan to do it. And then I was like, there's your opening. Well, Philly is Fucking do it. But Philly's not that far away from New York. It's not like it's that big of a move. I mean, it's a big move. But I've it's never not- lived in a city. I lived in the Philadelphia suburbs, Doylestown, cozy ass. Oh, you're suburbs. from Doylestown? Yeah. Why don't you have the Philly accent? Why aren't you because like? Because I went to school for acting and I ta- got taught standard stage. Oh, dialects. you mean Echo and the Bunnymen? Yeah, I love it. Hey, you want to go get a hoagie? You want to go get a hoagie? Let's go. But dude, get, put get on the new, put on the new Echo and the Bunnymen. I love no, Echo. I, I love the Philly accent, but I don't have it. Um, but okay, yeah, that is a Doylestown and a fucking half. Uh, yeah, so I'm glad I did that. I just fucking saw the opening and I took it and I took the chance and I fucking one of the best moves of my life. Yeah, but you time my current. You had to get fucking out of Doylestown. But I, I didn't mean, want to. I was comfortable. I was at Penn State. How I, old were you? Uh, I was eighteen. Eighteen years old. Yeah, still never baby. lived in a city. Sheltered by a mother who's overbearing. So were they? So were they supportive at no. all? No. Well, well, outwardly yes, but my mom was so terrified that she like went into a deep dark depression over it. But that's like that's just that's just regular mom at this point. Right? At this You're point, just like, yes, All but right, I'm, mom. You, you know. Yeah, she's but like, I was I never got good at dealing with it. She's crying hysterically, like mom. It's, it's if I had Adderall at the time, I would have been able <laughs> yeah. to to deal with it, but I didn't. So I I wasn't able to not be affected by her. No, I get it. All right, all my colors, uh, also known as Zimbo, uh, very powerful song. Uh, I, I really think that the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs borrowed the opening of this uh, for their song Maps. Mm. So, uh, Peter, play the intro to Maps. Now, Peter, play the intro uh, to All My Colors. Can you hear it? Yeah, this song got me. This song got you? Yeah. Just what? the musicality of it, the music of it. Very right. haunting, very eerie. It's beautiful. It's yeah. beautiful. Uh, it's And also, it's the mantra that Zimbo over mm. and over again... Um, they're using it just just like it like it is a mantra. Uh, but don't give them too much spiritual cred for using one because Ian basically said that during rehearsals for this, he was softly singing Jimbo, 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 which is a very tongue-in-cheek tongue because he was crooning like Jim Morrison. When everyone loved it, he obscured it to Zimbo. Uh, and he said, Zimbo is about the loss of someone and the fact that people ha- hold on to things that have already gone. He also called it our first soul song. The first song where we proved we could connect emotionally. 
So you did you connect emotionally? Oh yeah, to this song. Yeah, with through the music. Yes, yeah, the mu, the yeah, everything about the song, uh, the, the every choice that they made hit a nerve. <laughs> no, I feel you. Um, so have you dealt with a lot of loss? Like what's, what's been your most profound loss? No, I haven't. I've not dealt with death very much at all. Really? Grandparents died uh, either when I was too young or they'd been sick for so long that the death was, thank God, never had a sudden death in my family, um, or in my friend's circle. Uh, a couple people that I kind of knew from high school, um, people from comedy, but none that I were, I was close to. Um, so I think the, the worst loss that I had was my loss of my innocence when my boobs grew in. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, I that do, would, and I do mean that. <laughs> but wouldn't that be like a proud day? Like that would be like. I didn't want it. No, I didn't want to grow up. You didn't want titties? I didn't want double D's. I didn't want to be treated like a woman by grown men when I was 12. That's. Fuck, yeah. dude. Yeah. Not fun. You have Not back fun. problems? Nah, I, I have shoulder and neck problems, but I think that's just because drama. <laughs> no, just I, emotional. No, I get it. That's that's definitely a profound loss. Yeah, I didn't want to be treated like a woman at all. Yeah. I wanted to wait way longer than my body was like, no, fuck you, bye. <laughs> but how do you how do you handle it now? I mean, now. I wear baggy clothes. Well, I wear baggy clothes. That's how I handled it most of the time. And then finally, I don't care. Now I'm ready to feel like a woman, be treated like a woman. Now at 31, I am. Man, I feel like a woman. All right, no dark things. Uh, I love the guitars in this song so much. Uh, Just jagged strokes. And this is almost like an anti-goth mission statement. It's like wearing black (laughs) while smiling. And I do love this. Just great song, man. Um, No dark things. The the shouting of that is incredible. Hold on, Peter, play a little bit of the song for me. Do you have any thoughts? I, I liked the title of the song because uh, I, I looked at all the titles of the song before I listened to the album and I was like, oh, I love that song because I hate dark things. <laughs> but by the time I got to that one, I'm like, yeah, I think resistance to change is really like an underlying theme of the album. But well, uh, yeah. Well, it's about, but it's actually with, even with a title like that, I mean, it's a very positive song. Mm-hmm. So how do you stay positive in a world that's so fucked up? Well, we used to be Adderall. Now I got to rely on my okay. fucking self. Um, no, uh I've always been positive, always. I've always, because the thing is you can choose to be either one and I choose positive because that feels better. Yeah. I don't I don't like being negative and bitter. Oh, I completely agree feels with that. Feels gross. I, I, I used to be negative for years and yeah. now it's like, you know, like I said, go to the dark side and come back a lot quicker. But mm-hmm. it's, uh, I started like writing out the way I want things to go. And it's just like, it's just all the positive shit that I want to happen. And it's like, even if half that stuff happens, it's like, no, I mean, this is, I made this happen by just staying in a positive frame of mind. Yeah. And it's another, powerful. And then another thing to do is when I do start going dark, I free write where I just write all the, 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 the negative shit that I feel about myself yeah. or a situation and you just get it out. And mm-hmm. then it's like, all right, good. I've, I've purged myself of it. Yep. You know, now I can go to In-N-Out Burger. You know what Thank I mean? Thank God. All right. Turquoise Days. Now, it starts pretty sparsely and reminds me of some of the more experimental talking head stuff that was coming out around the same time. And Ian said that talking heads were inspiring to them, which makes sense because mm. the build in this song is so powerful to just drop out and start over. I mean, I just love it. And at first I thought, 
This was about keeping positive during an existential panic attack. But it really sounds like a story about a soldier or Marine going off to battle. Mm. Um, Ian said, it's about the human race today. It's people not understanding everything they do and all the motives for doing things. They think it's for things they love, glory, war, and all of that, but it's not. It's about something else which I haven't figured out yet. (laughs) What's your motivation to do what you do? To feel good, to feel joy, and to feel... uh, Now it's kind of evolved to uh, making other people or causing other people to realize their potential or uh, with Guys We Fucked, I think the, the effect of it has been really profound for a lot of people and it's fucking cool to hear about that because you know you can change a situation that you're in through something as simple as being honest with yourself and with the people around you that and it makes me so happy that that's all it really takes to incite a positive change in your life so uh so yeah that the the audience and the fans listeners keep me going but also I just want to make something that I'm proud of that's always what drives me to do anything. And like, it's like a, it's like a puzzle that you get to solve each project. And, um, and you, the clue to where, what pieces go where is based. It's in your gut. All right. The, the album ends with all I want. Now this is the final song on the record and very tame for the rest of the record. It wasn't a bad song. I was just expecting more for the finale after what we had been through in this emotional roller coaster. Uh, I would have liked to have a more powerful ending. Uh, maybe not sonically powerful, but lyrically, it ends on a positive note when he says, all I want is love. Uh, Peter, play minute two, second 49. I liked this is the last song a lot. Really? I loved it because I didn't want to be exhausted emotionally anymore. I was tired of that. Like I was I was t- I was tired <laughs> by the end of the album because I kind of like the, the a lot of these songs put me through it that I'm glad he ended on that note. Yeah. I, okay, well that's a good perspective on it. Maybe I'm changing my opinion. You're right. <laughs> was, see I see the see the smile you just gave me. You're like it was really good. Like, All I want by is the way, love. Do you have any Adderall? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Ian said that this began as an ad lib and then he built upon that. Um, I love how he says, all is love is all I love. It's like, it's this Liverpool, like, saucier accent thing. Mm. Um, what would be enough for you? <laughs> oh my God. What would be enough? Love. Truly. Being in love would be enough for me. Have you been in love? Oh, Yeah. I love love. I've been in love many times. And it's many? been amazing. Yeah. Were you surprised? Well, I'm still trying to figure out what actual love is. I mean, oh, okay. I've had, I've dated girls that I've, I've thought I've loved them. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's just like, there's like the connection that you have is, it's, it's just like, I never had that. Well, I'm at a connection. Yeah. Oh, I've had, I have, and it's powerful and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. Uh, but I also, uh, this new thing of, um, not being afraid to say, I love you. Um, that one guy I, I talked about briefly throughout this interview, uh, this guy that we were dating and now we're just really, really close friends, but we said, I love you to each other, maybe a month in. And we were not, it wasn't very clear where the relationship was going at all, but I really felt that. And he really felt it. And when he said it and I'm like, man, you're not even scared what I'm going to think. You just want to say it. Like saying, I love you without, um, being married to what they say back is such a freeing thing. 
porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Yeah. And I wish more people were comfortable saying I love you and not being scared of what do they think this is going to be? Fucking who cares if you love a person? Tell them you love them. It doesn't matter what they say back because you're you're claiming that you love them. That's what this is about. It's not about what they feel back for you. So that indicates are you just saying it to get a response? You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you think in this day and age, though, like people are, are you know, being more liberal with their I love yous? You know, but I do. But I think it's because maybe that's how you really feel. Because I love people, I love people so much, uh, and and I feel it right away. And why not say it? Who cares if what they say? I love you, Josh. I love you too. Thanks. That's so sweet. Do you, want, do you want to do some facts? Yeah. All right. What's up, facts? Facts, facts, facts. Uh, this is a hard album to sing the songs like my little shit that I do because there's no there's no melodies. It's, I mean, there's melodies, but there's no like chorus. I need one fucking chorus. There's no chorus. All right. The cover of the album photographed by Brian Griffin of the band silhouetted on a beach in Wales with a flock of seagulls all around them was achieved by pouring out buckets of fish guts. What's the craziest thing you've ever done professionally? <laughs> Interviewed my boyfriend at the time's porn star ex-girlfriend. Really? After being so terrifyingly insecure about it to the point where I had like two sex injuries because I was trying to pretend You were that trying I, to keep up with a porn star? Exactly. In my head. It was, it was all in my head. Some of the things he did perpetuate 100%, but... Uh, I think it's... Wait, I just want to stop that for a second. Like, for the female porn stars, it's just big noise. Like, they don't do anything crazy. The guy is the guy... If, if you were... If if he was, like, the male porn star... Like, like, if I'm a male porn star and I gotta fuck, you know... it's You know what I mean? There's more work for the guy. Right, That's but what I'm she's trying to say. Stoya, who's a well-known person, yeah. and, and who's wonderful in sex. The thing is, I my thing... My at the time that I met him, um, he was was not over her and tried to get over her to me, which I so I heard things that he missed about her that I should not have heard. So that fucked up. The, that made the insecurity go full speed, and um, and I wasn't advocating for myself like I am. As what do you mean? Like he was like he would be oh, like he one would of the things like, he said man, was you don't you know Australia yeah. made incredible like yeah. pasta marinara. No, no. Uh, when sometimes when we were out in public, she would take my hand and put it up her skirt to let me know how wet I made her. I don't want to fucking know that. Why would he tell you that? Because he's a he, he's a piece of shit. That's a yeah, shitty thing to do. It was shitty, but at the time I was I it, I fell for the bait of like oh I got insecure about it and um and especially then I wasn't very sexy. I was more goofy and I like couldn't figure out how to be sexy because I didn't discover that part about myself at that time. And so that was a big insecurity anyway. And then coming to the table with this situation and then him kind of twisting the knife and then me feeling all in my head about it. Uh, one of the most nervous I've ever been in my life was waiting for her outside the studio. Just just sitting there waiting like smoking making, a pack of cigarettes. Yeah, because you were just so I don't I thought that. I was going to implode. She's amazing. She's lovely. I'm so glad we interviewed her, but it was very weird. It was very odd. And I didn't know all the things that play at the time where my ex kind of pushed me to feel more insecure. 
because of the things he told me. I didn't know that at the time. Looking back, I'm like, oh, I see. I see, see where the domino did. trail led. But uh, I didn't know that then. Everybody go listen to the Stoya interview. Listen to it. Because I'm about to. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I, it's a great I, episode. I, I can't wait to listen it's to it. It's called The Stoya Episode. All right. In his 1999 book, <laughs> From the Shores of Lake Placid and Other Stories, the band's manager, Bill Drummond, said, Heaven up here. The album is dull as ditch water. The songs are unformed. They sound uniformly gray. So this is a wow. shitty review. Uh, what's the worst review that you ever got? Racist. <laughs> really? <laughs> that was just press that we got. <laughs> um, uh, worst review? I don't read reviews. Um, I guess we've gotten reviews on the podcast before, but they always make me laugh. Re- bad reviews never affect me. Um, because they're either coming from a place of honesty or they're coming from personal, a personal place on that person's part. That's kind of funny. Like sometimes we project shit onto other people and in the moment we don't know we're projecting, but like when somebody looks on and they know you're projecting, it's kind of, it's kind of cute. (laughs) Like, I just think it's funny. I think human beings are funny that way. So, so anything negative that's getting said to us, uh, I kind of, I really do take with like a comical grain of salt. Oh, you have to. Because I don't give a fuck what you have to say, but it's cute that you think I do. And, uh, and if I hate someone's art, it's not about that person. It's never about that person. It's about me. You can't read reviews of the work that you do. I was like, I can read, bitch. I know you can read, but you can't read the review. You can't spell for shit. Nope. But you can't, like, when I had my first set from from Comedy Central posted online. It was one from the Comedy Jam. Uh, they posted it on YouTube, and one of the comments, the first one was, "This guy is trash." <laughs> I mean, it was that's it, hilarious. It, it, it is, and I laugh about it. And I remember me and Avery and Jeremiah and Sickler. That's like we talk about it all the time. But it's just like, you know. Luckily, everybody underneath was like, no, this guy's good. Like, this yeah. is good, blah, blah, blah. But it's like all I can remember. I can't remember any of the positive ones. Oh, right. I can only remember the trash ones. Yeah, one time when we did Rogan, that was a huge deal for us. Obviously, anybody does Rogan is a big deal. Uh, somebody said in the comments that I sounded like I was hopped up on Adderall, and that, that hurt and my heart. Right. <laughs> and he wasn't wrong. That one is the one I remember because there was truth in, to it. Yeah. But other ones is like, you fucking dumb whore. You should. We've, we've gotten told we should be raped and or murdered, then raped which is a rape after you're murdered i don't know um but like that shit i'm like oh god you fucking you're a loser you're if you're commenting on a youtube video ah, the odds of you not being a loser are high or, or, or low but um because I, I don't comment on youtube videos i'm not saying that i'm better than anybody else but um really the only times a few times i comment is i'll make a yelp account to make a positive review because i feel like people don't do that as much and when i really like a place i think it deserves credit dude i'm all about the positive reviews yeah I, i've never done a complaint about anything yeah um i just want to go back to you said the thing that they knew that you were on uh adderall yeah because uh, i actually when that trip where when we first like hung out we were in uh philadelphia and then we went to new york uh, we did the show at the Gramercy, and the next day, Burr was headlining Madison Square Garden, and I was loaded on oxys. And I remember I was meeting Paul Verzi's like wife and some of his friends from uh, New York. And this guy's like, "Hey, how you doing? I'm Frank. Nice to see you." And he's meeting this guy, and he's like, "Hey, how you doing? I'm Frank." And then he sees me, and he looks at me, and he goes, and he pulls me in, and he goes, "Dude, are you on oxys?" I'm like, I'm like, what are you talking? No. And he's like, he's like, dude, your eyes are the size of your pupils are the size of pinholes. 
I mean, and I was like, oh, no, it's just, uh, I mean, I took a Xanax, and, and he just, like, the rest Fuck, of the night, man. he was like, all right, whatever, man, and he just keeps walking, but it's just like, he knew immediately. And you probably remember where you were, how it felt, oh, what I, you were wearing, I mean, it, yeah. It, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I'm telling it here, it's like, yeah. it's stuck with me, yep. and I mean, I didn't want... Like, first of all, how the fuck nobody knew I was doing painkillers on that trip? You guys are fucking just blank. <laughs> no, well, Corinne didn't know that I had a problem. And I'm with her all the time. Yeah. Uh, we can hide it. Addicts can hide it. If I want to hide something, I'll hide it. Yeah. That's why That's why the first thing I did when I came out, I was like, I told everybody I knew. So I'd be held accountable. Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. Ian McCullough quit the band in 1988 and drummer Pete DeFridis, God, I love that name, was <laughs> tragically killed in a motorcycle accident oh. in 1989. Rest in peace, Pete DeFridis. Will Sargent and Les Pattinson replaced them and put out an album, Reverberation, in 1990, but it wasn't very successful, and the band officially broke up in 1993. Will and Ian worked on other projects alone, and then together as Electra Fiction? That's a weird one. And everyone was treating it like a reunion anyway. They just got former bassist Les Pattinson back and reformed to put out the successful album Evergreen. Um, are you the kind of person that cuts everything off after a breakup or can you remain friends and maybe even reconcile? Uh, this last one, I cu- I'm going to cut everything off. I let I, I have this I had this pattern of letting people into my life that didn't have any place in, in my life. But I was like, no, I'll help them. Um, and then once you cut it off, you realize that you were helping them and you get mad at yourself. So it's just a clean cut. Nope. I'm good. Uh, I've had two friend breakups in my life. Never talked to them since. Cause once I get to that, once I get to that point with a friend, we're done. You, you have fucked me so hard that we're done. Um, with breakups, I wish I could stay friends with exes. Um, this last one, no. Um, but the one before that, no, the two before that. Um, we we remained friends, and then his girlfriend at the time didn't want him talking to me, and then we rekindled again. So only one. Yeah, you almost wish that like you could still kind of like call each other and just talk baby talk. Just, Sometimes, just yeah, bit. just a comforting because it's a, clo- a relationship that's the closest you're ever going to be to another human being, and yeah. then to all go all of a sudden to go from that to you're dead, basically. I mean, that's ter- That's horrible. That's that's drastic. That's Completely. Fucked. All right, before we <laughs> go into final thoughts, I'm just going to uh, say this, that Morty put this as a little special thing to read. In the sleeve notes to their greatest hits, their manager, Bill Drummond, summed up their career as lies, deceit, hatred, hotel floors, cocaine dealers, transit vans, acid trips, Broken amplifiers, American girls, service stations, loss of innocence, corrupt road crews, missed opportunities, vanity, broken promises, shit gigs, bad sex, crap mixes, late VAT returns, petulance, incompetence, petty rivalry, and Pete DeFridis dying. Bomber. That's a pretty heavy career. What are your final thoughts? On this record. Jesus. Now I'm in a depression coma again. I want to listen to it again. Um, I love it. I My final thoughts on this record are that I've, I never would have listened to this record had you not. And I'm so glad I did. And I'm going to be listening to it a lot. I feel like this is something I can listen to in the background or it's something I can listen to in like a focused state. Um, and I will get different things out of it depending on the mood I'm at when I press play. 
All right, so and I really the, like that. So what? So basically, ladies and gentlemen, this is the perfect album to listen to while you're slowly weaning yourself off from Adderall. of meth. Yeah, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Um, I was actually talking to Adam Egan, and he said this band was supposed to be bigger than you two. Wow. Yeah. Shit. So they didn't, but I think that uh, they were good enough uh, to be on this list, and I definitely feel like it deserves to be on there. Uh, Christina, thank you so much Thanks, uh, for coming on. I think you were supposed to do this episode. You yeah. were supposed to find this record, and I'm glad I could be the person to bring that to you. Me too. For all things Christina, go to ChristinaHutchinson.com. That's where you'll find all of her tour dates, and she's on tour, so make sure you go see her. At Christina Hutch on all social media. So it's Christina Hutch, not the Ensign. So Christina Hutch on all social media, and make sure you guys listen to Guys We Fucked on Luminary. I'll be posting her mixtape track listing link. And if you want to find that and everybody's mixtapes, go to the website for all things 500, the500podcast.com. Email us at 500podcast at gmail.com. And follow me, guys. I want followers. Hook me up. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Big shows coming up July 25th. We're doing the live 500, like I said, at Just for Laughs Montreal at 5.30 p.m. in the Ovation Room. And on August 20th, the goddamn Comedy Jam's five-year anniversary at the Roxy, which actually is this week, but we didn't do a show this month because I'm busy, so it's going to be next month. So happy birthday to the goddamn Comedy Jam. You'll see Jim Jeffries, Big J, Okerson, and Brad Williams, amongst many others. It's going to be a party. Come to the Roxy on August 20th. All tickets you can find on my Instagram page, on the Goddamn Comedy Jam's Instagram page. They're all there. And go to my website, joshadammyers.com. I haven't, I gotta update it. I don't know why I keep saying this. Please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform and leave a review, guys. Leave a review if you're on Apple iTunes. Follow my boy Morty at DJ Morty Coil and check out the page of him and his daughter singing songs at B and Daddy Cartoons. Now, we just listened to Echo and the Bunnymen from 1981. Well, guess what, baby, baby? There's a new band that's in town that was directly influenced by this album. From Orange County, California, we have Cosmonauts with their song Medio Litro. I really like this song, and I think you guys are going to like it too. If you're in a band and you want your music played at the end of the 500, send it to us. Tell us the album that influenced you and send it to the email 500podcast at gmail.com. All right, guys. Two weeks, we'll be back. July 31st, we have R.E.M. with their 1987 album, Document. So y'all got some homework to do. I will see you in two weeks. Big, big news. July 31st. Stay motherfucking fleecy.
Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Next Chapter Podcasts.